the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. The Old Testament is filled with history. It is filled with poetry. Uh, it is filled with so much, but one of the major areas is prophecy. Matter of fact, there are 16 books uh, that have to do with prophecy, all the way from Isaiah all the way to Malachi. And four of those are considered major prophets. Now, the reason they're considered major is because of their size. But each one of the prophets had something to say, very important. And today, on our series of Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms, uh, we've, we've kind of looked at the main kings and looked at some of the evil kings and uh, those that were a part of the United Kingdom and those that were a part of the Divided Kingdom. And today, we're going to continue that. We've looked at Elijah and Elisha. But today we're going to look at the major prophets. And again, that would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Along with Jeremiah comes that little book called Lamentations of Jeremiah. But we want to look at each one of these and talk about them, not in detail, but we're kind of like taking as someone's called a bird's eye view and overview of them. And that's what we want to do. And uh, from time to time, we've gone through the book of Jeremiah. We've gone through a lot of the book of Isaiah. And we have gone through Ezekiel and Daniel on this program, Alex and I have, as we've looked at them in more detail. But today, keeping with what we're doing, uh, we're just taking a, a kind of a bird's eye view. So the first one that we come up with is Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is an amazing, he, he, matter of fact, he's called the Prince of Prophets. Uh, when you see who he was, a statesman, a reformer, a theologian, a poet, uh, he, he, was, he was very qualified and he was an advisor to the kings. And matter of fact, he would serve under four kings there in Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And he was called during the reign of Uzziah. And so as, as Alex and I discuss these major prophets, and we look again, an overview, we want to look at Isaiah. And uh, when we find him, we find him just speaking. But his call, Alex, the call of Isaiah, I really believe, formed the rest of the ministry that he had over in Isaiah chapter 6. This is one of the most, I, I would say, dramatic, picturesque, uh, you know, descriptive callings that I can think of in the Bible. Amen. Amen. You know, Isaiah is a significant book in so many ways. And Bert, it's great to be with you on exploring the word and uh, just so glad everybody's listening. Uh, in fact, I've got a piece of mail from a lister in Georgia I might share with us in a few minutes. But um, I'm glad we're going over these major prophets because, you know, prophecy has always been important in the life of God's people, isn't it? Uh, you know, always God has revealed things to his people and the prophets of old reveal future events before they they happen. And certainly Isaiah is important. You know, the book of Isaiah, which has 66 chapters, sometimes have you ever heard it called the miniature Bible, Bert? I have, Alex. And matter of fact, the 39 
uh, first 39 chapters deal with similar things that the Old Testament does, and it ends the way kind of the book of Malachi does. And then you start in chapter 40, 40. and go yes. to yeah, and go to 66, and you kind of have the New Testament. It even talks about the voice crying out in the wilderness, you know, exactly. and goes all the way to the promise. So yes, it is. I I, I love that explanation. The Bible well, in miniature, Alex. It, 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 I mean, it's uncanny. It, it really is just amazing. Well, it shouldn't surprise us because this is the Word of God. But, I mean, you've got John the Baptist right there in Isaiah 40. Uh, listen, the voice of someone shouting, make straight, clear the way in the wilderness for the way of the Lord. And, uh, you know, um, what's so interesting is that you've got the virgin birth in Isaiah. You've got the good news of the gospel in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 52 through 53, you've really got the sacrificial death of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 60, Christ returns to claim his own. And yet, this major prophet Isaiah, again, major because of the length of what he wrote, um, but roughly 750 years before the birth of Christ, and like you said, 39 chapters that are very much Old Covenant, 27 that are very much pictorial of the new covenant under the coming Messiah. And here, 750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah, in vivid depiction, shows us the coming Savior and the salvation story. And, and it is just so filled. I, what I wanted to do, and, and I think it would be very beneficial, is look at the calling of each one of these prophets and, and look at Isaiah chapter 6 and just listen to this dramatic calling. Alex, I remember as, you know, a, a teenager, I knew God had something for me, but God's hand upon me uh, just letting me know that he had something for me to do was great. And then it became clearer and clearer that it was to be a spokesman, you know, preaching, speaking the word, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's dramatic. But I, I dare say Paul's conversion <laughs> calling and Isaiah's calling, uh, they, they kind of top the list. So let me read Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I love that, us. Mm -hmm. Then I said, here am I, send me. And then he told him what he was to do. But Alex, again, these verses are filled. How beautiful. You see the poet in his soul when he begins to share this, don't you? 
Well, you really do. And, you, you know, you mentioned King Uzziah, who was one of the kings of the southern kingdom. And Isaiah chapter 6 begins, in the year King Uzziah died. This is really important because, uh, Bert, does my memory serve me? Did, didn't Uzziah serve about like 50 years? Yes, uh, he did, Alex. And, and guess what? It's going to start off Isaiah serving for about 60 years as a prophet. So I, exactly. I love that. You know, when you, Uzziah, he, he has that year. And then, but God had Isaiah ready to go. Yeah, and and so for this reason that we we know the book of Isaiah was written something like 740 BC or 750 740 something like that. But it is said that uh, one of Judah's greatest kings Uzziah died in 740, um, and we can date the book. Now, when you've got you know these incredible prophecies like Isaiah 7:14 that a virgin would conceive and bear a child and this would be a sign to the whole house of Israel um you know I've I've had skeptics say well you know maybe these things were written after the fact to try to make events look prophetic no we we know and I mean goodness we'll get to Isaiah 53 which is just such a vivid picture of of Christ being beaten and scourged and by his stripes were healed. But for a minute, Bert, let's think about Isaiah's reaction when he was in the presence of the Lord. Um, I've had people say to me, you know, if they, they, I've had people say, well, you know, if I die and it turns out there's a God, I'm going to ask him, why did this and that happen? Look, when you see the presence of the Lord, like Isaiah, Isaiah said, whoa, uh-oh, I'm undone. I'm falling apart here because I'm a sinful man. And uh, so an angel, you know, purged him and cleansed him with a coal from the altar. But here's the point. When we step into the presence of a holy God, um, there's not going to be any back talk. It's going to be uh, those that fall on their face in the presence of an eternal, holy, all-powerful God. And Isaiah's reaction there in chapter 6, I think, is worth noting for all of us. You know, and, and again, I related that to Paul. You remember here, Isaiah says, you know, here am I, send me, you know. Mm -hmm. Paul's was, Lord, who are you? When you're yeah. in his presence, let me just share with you, his presence dominates. Uh, Amen. <laughs> it, it's it is so strong, overwhelming. And you see this in Isaiah's call. But I do love that. When God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? We're always looking at the Trinity, and here it is again uh, in the book of Isaiah. But hear his response. Here am I. Send me. Now, I remember as in Bible camp and youth camp, and people would talk about that. And they were saying, yeah, if that me, I'd say, here am I, Lord, send Jeremiah. But not Isaiah. <laughs> he says, Lord, here am I. Send me. And and. Alex, what a joy it is to be called into his ministry. And let me say this, and I'll turn it back to Alex. If you've been saved, you have been called. Now, it may not be to be a spokesman, a preacher, or song leader, but you have been called into ministry. It is a servant. You're a servant. You're to serve the Lord with gladness. And it may be in the preschool. It could be with senior adults. It, uh, a lot, I tell this 
the, some of the most, if not the most important ministries take place outside the walls of the building that we call church. It's out there. You know what it says? It says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Alex, I hate to say this, but they don't see the good works inside the building, but they sure do notice what we do outside that building, don't they? They really do. They really do. Now, you know, you talk about Isaiah's humility before God and Paul falling down. You know, the one who persecuted the church said, you know, who are you, Lord? In the year that King Uzziah died, all right, Uzziah got proud. He, he had a lot of military victories and dominated in some battles with the Philistines. But Uzziah got proud, and the Bible says that um, he... Uh, he had been a good king in some ways, but he intruded into the priesthood, Second Chronicles 26, and he went in there, he transgressed the Lord uh, to burn incense like a priest, and he got leprosy and died. So could we say, based on their attitude to God, in the year Uzziah was brought down, Isaiah was lifted up? Yeah. Uh, that is perfect, and it is. And again, it's two different positions. And let's go back to the calling. What you want to do is fulfill your calling. Uh, you know, I, pastoring, I, I've heard it. You know, people say, well, if I was pastor, I'd do it this way. If I was preaching, I'd preach this. Let me just advise you something that I, I think is good, and I know I'm a pastor, preacher. I understand that. But, you know, be careful what you think others ought to do with their calling. Just, just be careful. Uzziah tried to usurp authority with authority he did not have. Don't go there. Hey, Alex, we're going to come back and we're going to look at some more of the major prophet Isaiah. And we're going to look at that Isaiah 53. You were get ready to be blessed. God Amen. is amazing what he did and said through the prophet Isaiah. We'll be right back. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Robert Hampshire, Chief Science Officer for the Department of Transportation. In this role, he oversees research, development, and technology activities across the department and at the 40 University Transportation Centers. Proverbs 4.13 reminds us of the importance of studying and obtaining wisdom. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Robert Hampshire in his scientific studies at the Department of Transportation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says if your Christian life isn't going anywhere, maybe it's because you're too comfortable where you are. He'll talk about the problems that creates as we spend two minutes with Tony. You will never know where God is taking you unless you leave where you are, the world. You will never find out. He will never show you. God says, I have a will for you. I have an inheritance for you. I have a plan for you. Or as we said in our series, we have a destiny for you. God has something for every believer here. If you are a Christian, he has a purpose that he wants you to fulfill. 
but he will not show you your destiny if he can't get you to leave the world. As long as you're hanging on to the world, you're at enmity against God. God cannot communicate with you. So you won't hear heaven talk. You won't get answered prayers. You won't get direction. You'll be aimless because your affections are not with him. They are elsewhere. You visit him on occasion, but you live with affections and actions that leave him out. In fact, one of the ways you know you're growing as a Christian is when your passion for the world is dying and your passion for him is growing. If you're loving the world more than him, that's because the world has your affections, it has your passions, it has grabbed you. So he says, you must leave this paganism that doesn't include me without me giving you all the details. You're gonna have to walk by faith and believe I know where I'm taking you. If you're ready to start moving away from the world and growing closer to God, visit us at TonyEvans.org and click on the word Jesus at the top of the page. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7, it talks about this angel who touched Isaiah's mouth with a coal and said, and these are wonderful words for any sinner to hear, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, along with Bert Harper, and you're listening to the American Family Radio Network, and we're so glad you are. We're in Isaiah talking about one of the major prophets. Bert, uh, isn't that good news? Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Uh, th those are the, the greatest words any, any human could ever hear, isn't it? They are. And, and let me say, the forgiveness of God is complete. It's not partial. He cleanses completely. And uh, listen, Jesus paid the price on the cross. You remember that old song? He paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he, Jesus' blood, washed it white as snow. And, and that's that purging we're talking about. Jesus did it, and no one else could do it. If you've been looking to try to get right with God some other way without Jesus, remember what has been said uh, during the time of Reformation. It is in Christ alone, no one else, nothing else. Through faith alone, it really is Christ. And I think Isaiah demonstrates that because he gets into the area that actor is calling of the suffering servant, this Messiah. And Alex, you and I have talked about it. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the Hebrew scholars thought this must be two kinds of Messiah because you have mm, one yeah. that's coming in strength and then coming in, in as a sufferer, as one that is... And they didn't understand the times he's coming. He came the first time to a cross, the you know, the cradle to the cross. The next time he's coming to the throne, isn't he? Well, he is. He really is. And 
uh, let me just say this. Um, when I was little, I remember one of my Sunday school teachers was teaching about Isaiah 6, and it talks about, you know, one of the seraphim who takes a live coal from the tongs of the altar. Now, I knew enough what, you know, the fireplace poker was and the tongs. <laughs> yeah. And imagine, you know, your lips have a lot of nerve endings, very sensitive, but we don't get the impression that Isaiah experienced pain. Um, the coal touches his lips from off the altar. Now, redemption always involves an altar. Uh, but I, I believe this, and I don't know if it was at that moment or if it was on the cross, but the iniquity being taken away, the sin being purged, God felt the pain, not Isaiah. Now, how that miracle happens, I don't know, but here's the thing. The pain that was required for atonement of our sins, we didn't suffer for our sins, but Jesus sure did, didn't he? And, and the, the pain and the suffering were required because, see, God doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. All sin is dealt with, all sin. Now, you don't want to deal with your own sin because Romans 6.23 says that would mean death, separation from God. But praise the Lord Thank you, Jesus. He took the pain on the cross. And uh, we don't have to feel that pain. Christ felt it for us. Uh, and even 700 years before Jesus, even in the book of Isaiah here, I think we see, we see a shadowing of that. Don't you agree? I agree fully. And you were talking about the pain. And that does lead us into the suffering servant that, that Isaiah would write about. And... Uh, you know, it talks about it all the way, the latter part of Isaiah. We talked about in, in 6 about the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. That's all in Isaiah. So much of even the Christmas songs we sing, so much of them get their roots in, in the book of Isaiah. But you referred to Isaiah 53, and I do want to get that today since we mentioned mm -hmm. that. Alex, yes. and you may want to go back, but let me just share this with it in Psalm, uh, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah 53. When I say Psalm, because so much of Isaiah is poetry, you know? And so that's the reason I said that it was a slip well, of the tongue. Well, Isaiah 53, but, yeah. it, Isaiah 53 is very lyrical. It it's is. very poetic, it, isn't it? It is. Let me read part of it, and then you comment and, and see what, where you want to go. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Alex, I'm mm. going to stop there. Verse 7 and 8 and 9, I mean, it is so powerful. But this is the Savior that we're talking about. Isaiah, as you said, 750 years before. 
uh, they call him, he's one of the 8th century uh, you know, prophets, those that came along and would prophesy them, and every one of them was significant. But here, the, the words are so descriptive, and when we see Jesus get in the garden and on the cross, Alex, uh, it, you have to go back to Isaiah 53 and say, there it is, you know? Mm -hmm. It's that plain, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. And, you know, um, Bert, I grew up hearing the King James Bible taught in Sunday school. And, you know, in a way, I'm glad every now and then somebody will say to me, they'll say, well, the King James or the Bible in general is hard to understand. Well, words like comeliness made me think. I can remember being a kid. I heard Isaiah 53, too. You know, he grew up like a root out of dry ground. Now, I knew what it was to see a Imagine a parched field and there's nothing but hard dirt and yet one blade of grass. When something comes up out of a dead place, you know it. And the Messiah came, the, the Lord of life, in a place where there was just really ritual and, and no life. But it said he had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. And I thought, comeliness, what in the world does that mean? Did you, did you ever ponder on some of these words that you heard coming up, Bert? I did. Now, let me just share with you. You're the English major, and I'm not. I'm the history major. So I've noticed this, and those of you who are listening, and, and I think that's what makes Alex myself work well. We, we love the Lord, and then we, we enjoy talking with one another and sharing with one another. But his English you know, background, that degree, have you know, Alex, you look at words in a deep way. But I oh, did well. remember that one because it says comeliness, and then it goes on, and it says there's no beauty that we should desire him. I said, are those connected? Seem like they were, are they? Oh, I, I think absolutely they are. Now, the word comeliness translated re really means splendor. And the, the word beauty, it's not like you think like maybe a pretty girl, but his appearance. Now, we know Jesus fully human, but not fallen human and fully God. And while, you know, people were struck by him because they said never a man spoke like this man and he did the miracles. But you need to know that when Christ was here on earth, it, you know, there weren't lightning bolts shooting out from his hands. And it wasn't like this, you know, awestruck figure, you know, although on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, just verily mo momentarily, Peter, James and John saw that. But the thing was. Bert, I've had, um, I've had skeptics say to me, they'll say, well, you know, if, if God is real, why doesn't he write a message in the sky? I, I had an atheist say that one time, said, well, if, if Christianity was true, John 3.16 should be imprinted in the, the leaves of every tree. Well, God doesn't do sensationalistic things like that. But I will tell you the, the most sensational thing of history, that on, on the cross, our sin was paid. And three days later, Christ rose from the dead. So in Isaiah 53, 2, you know, there wasn't any vision and there wasn't any splendor. People had to, in faith, and I believe with an open heart, realize, okay, this man teaches the true way of God. This man has no sin. This man did miracles. This man could raise the dead. And in fact, he himself rose from the dead. And so Bert... I'll say this, and I want your response. Regarding each of us coming to Christ, and if you're listening to this program right now, and if you need to come to Christ, 
or come back to Christ. We urge you to do that. Here's the thing. God shows us enough that we really do know deep in our heart. Look, we know it's Jesus. Only Jesus rose from the dead. But he doesn't um, send lightning bolts across the sky and force us to believe. We know we've been shown, but we're still going to have to obediently take that step of faith. Uh, Would you agree? I agree fully. And think about this. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, one of those that he was tempted to do it the way these atheists are asking you to do it, writing the message in the sky, putting it on the leaves. You remember Satan said, won't you go to the temple and jump off? He'll Mm. give angels charge over you. That way everybody would see this spectacular person and they would be willing to follow you. And Jesus refused that. He refused to do it because that was not the way of redemption. The way he of doesn't redemption, do stunts, does he? He does not. The way of redemption is here through the suffering servant of him being him calling you, speaking to your heart, drawing your himself, showing himself to you in faith, and then you responded. But it also says in verse three, he was despised and rejected by men. I could not help but remember, Alex. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And mm. in the, even in those early days, his own brothers said, no, we're not going to have anything to do with him. But we believe all the brothers came to him, but we know two did. One was mm-hmm. the author of the book of James, and the other one was probably the, the author of the book of Jude that we have in the, in the New Testament, that these were probably the half-brothers of Jesus, the children of Joseph and Mary. And so here he is, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And, and again... He suffered for us. He was tempted in all points like we are. And so he went through the suffering there in the garden. He suffered in the cross, Alex. So we're talking about a person despised and rejected. Uh, He, he, you know, do you remember that scripture about the, the, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus is that stone. He is the one that is different than anyone that's ever come, ever would come. He is the one and only, but it's only through him that you can be saved. There's no other way given by God. Amen. That's that's so true. And Isaiah 53, I've got to say this, that uh, Bert in like verses five and six, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's like Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it says, uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is one of the first references that we have to what we call the substitutionary atonement. Um, It's been said that Christianity could be described in two very deep words, loving substitution. And Bert Um, You know, back in the ancient world, and even today, um, pagan peoples, they'll make sacrifices and they'll try to appease gods. But in Christianity, we've got God, the true and living God, who laid down his life for us. And the idea that our guilt and the appropriate measure of God's wrath that our sin deserved was laid on Jesus. That idea here in Isaiah 53 seven and a half centuries before the birth of Jesus, this idea of substitutionary atonement is utterly unique 
and yet here we have it. Amen. And it's only in Christ. Uh, this is what makes Christianity real. Uh, it's not goals. It's a gift that God has given. It, it's not a list of rules that you keep. It's a relationship that you can have. Now, that relationship changes everything because it says here, by his stripes, we're healed. We're healed. We're healed emotionally. This healing is, is, is going to be complete one day. It may be partial right now because there's physical healings that, that we know people has lived with that trusted the Lord. But he, our, our healing concerning our spiritual life, we're born again. We're made right. The emotional healing, he can take that brokenness that we have and he can make us right and so it's, it's a complete uh, salvation, uh, body, soul, and spirit. Right now, we've been changed. The spirit's different. Our soul, our psyche, we've got a different mentality. And one of these days, we're going to have a glorified body. Alex, it's called redemption. It's called sanctification. And one of these days, it's glorification. You know, mm, and, and in that God. healing, we're going to be like him. Now, then in verse 6, it says, it, it switches back, and I want to do this real quickly. We may not have time to, to do it quickly, but notice this. All we like sheep have gone astray. You know, that's us. When God compares us to sheep, he's not bragging on us. Let me just share with you. Yeah, uh, it's not a high compliment, was it? It is not a high. They, let me just tell you, they stink, you know. Uh, they're dumb. They, they go their own way. You remember it says, he leads me beside the still waters. He doesn't take him in it or close to it. And so this is what God has done for us. If you've gone astray, if God's not real, would you come to Christ today? Mm. Ask him to be Lord of your life. Alex and I would nothing more would just bless us to know that Jesus has come in to your life. We're going to take questions and that number, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Alex and I would love to hear from you today. Give us a call that we may be able to talk with you. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Airing the Addisons. Project Lincoln is a Republican outfit that hates Trump. But they are saying that they are going to go after other Republicans who favor Trump and track them. And they're going to keep the world up to date on where these people are so that they never work in this country again. Airing the Addisons, weekday afternoons at 2 Central on AFR. If you miss it, catch the podcast anytime at AFR.net. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. When the prodigal son parable is discussed, the focus is usually placed on the young son who squandered his inheritance, yet returned home when he came to himself. But if you look closely at the biblical text, you'll see it actually reveals the inexhaustible love of the father. 
Jesus' storytelling reveals that this was no usual earthly father. When the young son squandered all, brought shame upon himself and his family, the father sees him from a distance, runs to him, and restores him. That is our heavenly father. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for the Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Jesus told a crowd in Luke chapter 8, verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. A young farmer spent months planting and raking and fertilizing and watering his field. Now he was waiting for his crop to spring up. He complained to an older farmer, I've got the best looking farm in the county, but nothing's coming up. The old farmer rubbed his chin and asked, well, what seed did you plant? The young farmer said, seed? I didn't plant any seed. The old farmer said, well, that's your problem. Nothing grows if you don't plant seed. We must share the gospel with people around us. Other activities may be good, but the only way for people to be saved is to hear and believe the message of the gospel. Faithfully scatter the seeds of the gospel and the crop will grow. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 American Family Radio There's nothing to fear now For I am safe with you Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex with you today. And uh, by the way, I'm not in the studio. I usually am, but I'm in Sylacauga, Alabama, and that is on the Purcell Farms here. We're having our AFA retreat. We're having a grand time meeting people that love AFR, love exploring the Word. And Alex, they love you. I had about two or three people said, why didn't Alex come? And I said, well, maybe <laughs> we can arrange that because we enjoy doing that. I got to preach this morning. And uh, matter of fact, Alex, I preached a message that uh, I got from where we've been studying. You know, we've been studying Elijah and Elisha. And in chapter two, it's where Elijah is taken away by a whirlwind. But they yes. go through Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho before they cross the Jordan. And so I, that was my text this morning. We had a great time and uh, just enjoyed being with God's people. And uh, so, I, but they're missing you and wished you were here, brother. Well, that would be an honor to be there. I know that y'all are having a good time at the AFA retreat. And uh, so we're so excited about all that God is doing. And we just feel like no matter where you are and where you're listening, uh, you're our family, and we love each and every one of you, and it's our joy to study the Bible together. Hey, the number, 888 and we're going to go to phone calls uh, now. And if you've got a Bible question, call in. And, you know, Bert, I was just, I've got so much that I'd like to say about dear listeners that we hear from around the country. Um, but in the interest of time, I'll save some of this. 
uh, for maybe later in the week. I do want to say word at AFR.net, W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net. If you want to email a question in, it may become uh, material for a future show. And uh, Bert, I'm so excited. One last thing before we go to Texas with uh, Bobby in Texas. We're, we got a, kind of a big announcement that you and I are going to talk about for three whole days next week, don't we? We do. share <laughs> is coming up, and we love share It's high energy, uh, extra hours, but those hours are just, it seems like God just puts that adrenaline, spiritual adrenaline, which works out into physical uh, energy to share. And people that heard me preach this morning, they said, where do you get all that energy? And I said, man, God just gives it to me when I get up to preach. And uh, so we're looking to share and the premium that is going to be given, get ready. Uh, it has something to do with 100 questions. I'm kind of excited well, about it as well, Alex. And every one of you listening, well, not maybe not everyone, but most of you listening have in some way participated in what we're going to tell you about next week as the share premium. But uh, this is Exploring the Word. We're going to go to the questions. Bobby in Texas, are you there? Absolutely, Mr. McFarland. It's your great friend, Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe, how you been, brother? We haven't heard from you in a while. It's so good to hear your voice. Oh, I, I just had the call today. We've been listening every day. And and the encouragement of AFR, the truth that you stand for, it, it boils down to this, guys. We've allowed the sissiness of Christianity to become our our suppressors of truth. Because when we hear the lie, the, the Christian doesn't even know how. I mean, it goes to Scripture. My people fell for lack of knowledge. They're not growing closer to the Lord. They think the Lord is just fairy tale, and he's not. He's coming to be king. And you better be standing and walking with the truth. The truth don't walk with you. You have to walk with it. Am Amen. I wrong? And if I am, tell me. Bert, what do you say for Bobby uh, Listen, Joe? let me add this. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Starting with verse 5. Let me put this to you. It's talking about the sissy Christianity. I read a book why men hate going to church, and a lot of it, uh, I don't, again, I'll say this. This is what Alex says. This is Bert Harper's, not not AFR. But you know what we've done? We've put doilies at the front with flower arrangements everywhere, you know, and, and they're pretty. I Don't get me wrong. I love flowers. They're God's creations. But sometimes uh, we've taken the masculinity out of some mm-hmm. of even our worship. But listen to this. In Second Peter chapter 1, it says, add to your faith. Okay? It's not knowledge that you need to add to your faith first time. Now, I know it's lack of knowledge, but you know what you have to have before? Uh, if you've been saved, what you need before knowledge is virtue. That's what Peter mm-hmm. says, and that virtue is moral excellence. I go back to that passage, we're a new creation in Christ. Alex, God comes in to change us. He loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are, and he comes in and he puts us in a new path, a new direction, and so that path, uh, listen, it's not easy. It's me. It's crooked, and it's up and down. But he's with us, and he'll never leave us. So, uh, Bobby Joe, good word, brother. Yes, let's 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 hold each other accountable. Alex doesn't say somewhere iron sharpens iron. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know what? There's something so um, godly and and gentle about a masculine Christian man. You know, um, not sissified, not just you know uh, like a, a hot house full of orchids and flowers. But I want to tell you something. I've been around some Christian men that were you know a man's man. But there's just something so striking about a man full of the Holy Spirit and led by Jesus. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, one of my favorite presidents and a, a devout Christian, he talked about the strenuous life. And, he, you know, he advocated, you know, doing hard things and achieving things. And no matter what your age, try to, you know, achieve things. And, you know, I'd like to apply that to Christianity um, because Daniel 11.32 says the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. Let's try to do some exploits for Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter where we are in this journey. Bobby Joe, good to hear from you always. Uh, In Louisiana, great state of Louisiana, we're going to speak with Todd. Uh, Welcome to the program. Hey, brothers. Um, I love your program. listen to you all the time. Um, Oh, man, good to hear from you. Question... Hey, I got a question about the abomination of desolation. So we know that antichrists are going to come. So my question to y'all is, do we believe that this gentleman will come out of a religion that doesn't believe in Christ? And will he, will this gentleman come out of the Middle East? And I'm going to hang up on this three brothers. Thank you. Mm. Okay. Oh, well, Todd, thank you, Todd. you. Um, Go ahead, Alex. I'll key it I, I, I want to say something. Yeah, you, you do that. You it. know, um, midway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to take control of Jewish worship. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 says that he will declare himself to be God. And the Antichrist will demand worship from the Jews in their own temple and will set an image of the beast in this temple. Now, um, this, this will be such a blasphemous, ungodly thing that this will usher in really the worst part of the tribulation. I mean, the, it's going to be bad enough, but the second half of the tribulation will be just almost unbearably violent. Um, somebody emailed me yesterday, Bert, and said, uh, will Christians go through the tribulation? That's really kind of a, another question. I don't think the church will go through the tribulation although there will be people saved during the uh, tribulation. But the abomination of desolation is really um, the, the devil in human form, the Antichrist, going into the Jewish temple and demanding himself to be worshipped, and he'll massacre and kill any who refuse to do that. Let's go back to what Satan wanted in the beginning. He wanted to be like God. Really, he wanted to be above God. And that's when pride entered in, and he wanted his throne to be higher than God's throne. And God said, no, get out of here, and a third of the angels left with him. And, and so this is the culmination of that. He could not get it in heaven. So guess what he's doing, Alex? He's getting it on earth. You see how that, that, mm. that is connected as he places that on the altar. The other thing about the tribulation, let me just share with you. I, I do believe there's going to be the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years of the seven years. But that doesn't mean Christians won't go through tribulation. Uh, mm-hmm. The tribulation and tribulation, you got to separate those 
because we have brothers and sisters all over the world right now. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are getting it. They are hurting. They're being imprisoned. They're killed. There were more martyrs during the 20th century from 1900 to the year 2000. There was more deaths of Christians during that period of time than there were the previous centuries before that since Christ had come. And so, yes, and you know it says in the last days it will wax worse and worse. And so I, we don't know when Christ is going to come. We don't know when the tribulation start, but there's going to be tribulation before that. So believers, followers of Christ, uh, put on the combat boots, get ready, and, and stand for Christ. And uh, don't be a pre I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Alex. Sometimes I, I just come across too plain, I think. But don't believe, be a premillennial, pre-trib just to think, okay, that'll get me out of tribulation and pain. Uh, in this world, Jesus said, you're going to have, what, difficulties? And the words are pretty stout there. And uh, yeah. so let's, let's, let's stay with Christ. But I agree with you, brother. Thank you, Todd. Uh, good question. I'm going to go to Jim in Ohio. Jim, welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Uh, hi. I love listening to you guys. Um, I, concerning homosexuality um, and uh, um, gay marriage and um, gay clergy and all that, when the, the argument uh, in support of that is that uh, the scriptures addressing that aren't relevant anymore today, um, like the scriptures addressing uh, mold regulation and not eating pork and treating your slave well. Um, how do we counter that without, um, bit, uh, scripturally, without sounding like we're cherry-picking um, mm. scripture to fit our agenda? Um, oh, great question, uh, Alex. Let me just throw one thing, and then you take it away. Uh, you know, the book... Again, when we received uh, the Ten Commandments, when Israel received the law, it was pre-invading the promised land. Yes, it was given, but it was given to a government as well. They were going to go in there, and it was God that was on the throne, yes, but it was still a, quote, civil government and a way that you operate. Alex that was real then, don't let them think that that moral law, that governing law that God gave them is dismissed today just because some of the identity of the particulars, you know, that was not mm -hmm. connected with moral law, they may not have relevance today. Now, they teach something, you know what I mean? They teach mm -hmm. a lot about the Lord, but the moral law has not changed, brother. Now, we're not saved that, by keeping true. it, but it's the best way to govern a nation, isn't it? It is. And so, you know, I, I get it. Uh, old uh, people will say, well, you know, it's Old Testament, but, you know, we thought Jesus fulfilled the law. Well, he did. But the fulfillment of the law. Now, listen carefully, folks. If we say, well, because Jesus rose and we're under the new covenant for salvation, the the moral law of the Old Testament is no longer relevant. Some say, OK, well, we still have laws against murder. And we still have laws against stealing and even lying. So um, just because we're under Jesus doesn't mean that the Old Testament prohibitions against sexual sin have somehow been removed. So, But let's, let me give you the New Testament scriptures. Okay, Romans 1, 18 to 32. 
1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, and Jude 7. Okay, right there we have uh, five passages that clearly condemn male homosexuality and female homosexuality. Now, here, here's the point, Bert. Um, I had a lecture. There's a, he's passed away now, but Ronald Nash was a professor from New York, a Ph.D., and, and a Christian, but one of America's greatest philosophers, a brilliant uh, philosopher and a believer. And I heard him give a lecture 25 years ago against homosexuality because it failed he said it failed this um, standard philosophers have called the, the standard of teleology or design or purpose that, you know, natural marriage, a man and a woman, uh, besides appearing to be what the human bodies were made for, without being graphic here, uh, Dr. Nash, this is a very, very academic lecture, but he said, look, two males together, or two females together, it fails the, the test of design and teleology. And a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, um, physiologically, the body parts, that works. And I'm not going to repeat the entire lecture, but he basically said, look, um, the male body was not designed for homosexual activity, nor was the female body. And so why did God, in both Old and New Testaments, put these prohibitions against sexual sin and clear, unambiguous prohibitions against homosexuality? Well, it's against our bodies, against marriage, against God's design, and it's damning to our souls. God, God set the boundaries out of love, Bert. He did, and that creation and redemption, the two great themes of the Bible and it's against creation. It is also against redemption because Jesus talked about the church as a bride adorned for her husband, again, male and female. So listen, the Bible is clear and those that don't want to, they want to ignore it, it's still clear, the Bible speaks. Hey Alex, thank you. I appreciate you hosting with me today, mm-hmm. me from Alabama, you from North Carolina. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thanks for listening, folks. Tune in again tomorrow for Exploring the Word. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith, family, freedom. American Family Radio.